You don't have to be a machine learning engineer to help make the future a smarter place. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Back in the booth. We are. It sounds for real. Sounds Way better so than my closet. Yeah. It's, the, it's, it's, it's great. I love it. It's elevated. Yeah. It's good to see you. You too. You brought us somebody today. Who are we going to hear from? <laughs> yeah, I grabbed him uh, off of the uh, Amtrak. Yeah. I was like, you look like a good guest. We're <laughs> yeah. desperate. We're, we're getting lazy these days. Um, no, this is Tim Edwards, who is an ETF industry veteran. He's at S&P now. And what he's bringing to us and why we're talking to him today is the Spiva report. for And nerds know exactly what I just said. But if you don't, it's the S&P index versus active report. It's a scorecard that says how well are active managers doing versus their benchmarks. This report has been out, uh, Tim may correct me, but 15 years, and has been pretty instrumental in sort of uh, driving the narrative and thus the flows towards passive because the numbers are pretty bad. Okay, so we're going to hear from Tim Edwards of S&P. This time on Trillions, the Spiva Report. Tim, welcome to Trillions. Hi, thanks very much for having me. Okay, Tim, Spiva, for those not familiar, what, what is this going to reveal? Uh, well, it was in fact first published 20 years ago. Mm, fact uh, check. The Good. Time flies. <laughs> the concept is uh, is really, really simple. Um, the idea is to take a database of actively managed funds, uh, assign each fund correctly to a representative benchmark. So if it's a large cap US equity fund, the S&P 500, uh, and then on a regular basis to report how many of those funds survived survived and beat the benchmark. And then there's a wealth of additional data around uh, the spread uh, in performance, average performance uh, across funds, uh, both over the short term and over the long term. So it's, it's a report that gives you a sense of where active management um, is doing really well, different geographies, different market segments, uh, what the long term uh, statistics tell us about where indexing might work as an investment strategy. Okay, so who's winning? Who's winning? Um, well, we just today uh, published our latest edition of the Spiva US scorecard. Um, it runs uh, data up to the mid-year point of 2022. And um, unusually, perhaps, um, it's really, really close. Year to date in 2022, 51% of actively managed US large cap funds underperformed the S&P 500. So it's not it's not exactly 50-50, it's 51% underperforming, but essentially it's, it's a coin flip. So uh, in the short term, I'd say that it's a really close race for 2022. Uh, over the long term, uh, a much higher proportion of actively managed uh, funds have underperformed the S&P 500. Yeah, I mean, 50% is a huge feat for active. There, when I think of active, especially in the large cap space, I think of like a third outperforming right? This year, half-half. So that's pretty good. Is it because of the volatility? I think, I think there's a combination of, of factors. Um, so there is 
traditionally, um, a, a conception that active managers uh, tend to do better in, in bear markets. Now, of course, uh, that's something that happened this year in, in the first half of the year, the, the U.S. equity market turned from from bull to bear. Um, the data suggests a much more nuanced picture. Actually, uh, a, a downturn tends to make things a, a lot more noisy and a bit more random. What we also saw this year, as, as well as slightly higher volatility, was a massive increase in dispersion, which is a, a measure of how differently stocks are performing. Uh, this was most visible in the performance of, of uh, different sectors. So energy doing fantastically well at the same time as technology was doing uh, rather badly. Uh, and what you had across different styles, across different sectors, across different stocks, um, was a really big difference between, uh, if you like, winners and losers. What, what that does, uh, it doesn't make any uh, sort of strategy smarter, but it does really turn it into more of a game of luck rather than skill. Um, uh, the last time we saw dispersion as high as we've seen it so far in 2022 was um, 2009. Funnily enough, uh, that's the last time that active managers had such a good record. Yeah, I mean, um, I remember going back in 2008 and looking at the 20 biggest active funds, and I found two-thirds of them underperformed the, her- the horrendous year. Like the S&P was down like 35%. Two-thirds were down worse. And this was part of our big theme that we've been saying for, I don't know, a decade at this point. We're pretty proven right is that a bear market is actually not going to help active. Um, it's, it may help a couple funds, but generally speaking, the same amount will, will outperform and the same amount will underperform. Um, and the other thing is, I think just a bear market tends to be when investors flee their funds and their assets go down anyway. So it's just generally not the sort of, I don't know, the, the turnaround opportunity that I think people think it is. Although if they can keep up 50% for the year or a couple of years, that I guess they would go a little further with maybe changing the narrative. Yeah, I think if, if, if they can maintain that, that rate over the long term, then it does get to be more of a, a balanced picture. I mean, you know, something to bear in mind is uh, we don't apply any due diligence, if you like, on when producing our, our SPIVA reports. We don't say, how did the good funds do? You know, how did the funds that, that I would judge as being likely to outperform do? Uh, instead, it's, it's really about measuring the universe. So you might think as an investor, oh, well, you know, overall, half of the funds outperform, but I might be able to identify half. That's the problem. This is the problem for Active and why I don't even know if it matters Okay, 50% outperform. Let's just say they actually held that up for five years. They won't, but let's just say they did. Most people, I think, especially advisors, have just sort of resigned themselves to going, well, I, I admit some will outperform, but I don't know which one's ahead of time. And I don't want to roll the dice on that. I'll just go Vanguard and buy a three basis point beta fund. And that's what the flow show. So, I mean, can Active turn it around at all? Is there, I mean, is it over? Um, well, let me say two things about that. First 51% all, would say not. <laughs> first of all, let's, let's... Well, no, it's the persistence problem, too. They, if yeah. they do it one year, they usually, or five-year period, they usually do not do it the next five-year period. And, and advisors know this. This information is now out there, thanks to Spiva and the internet and whatnot, and obviously Vanguard and Bogle beat the drum on this for many years. Um, I, I mean, I'm not... I, I'm, I'm torn on how these... How well, let's these, ask Tim. Tim, is the game over? Well, first of all, let's just put some uh, data around this conversation. So we mentioned 51% underperforming uh, 
year to date in 2022. Uh, but the SPIVA reports do include longer term statistics. If you look at three years, that number goes up to 86% underperforming. If you go to 10 years, that number goes up to 90% uh, underperforming. Uh, and if you go out to 20 years since we've started producing these reports, it is 95% of Oof, actively managed. A bad rain cloud. Underperforming. Um, yeah. so, so, so that's the challenge I think that Eric's getting at, right? The, the short term number is okay, quite so noisy, the long term number is. Not 51, five, but. <laughs> Um, then you have the issue of, of, as you say, persistence. So um, there are lots of different ways that you could try and identify a manager who's um, you know, well positioned to, to beat the market. One of the challenges is uh, the data suggests that, that the most obvious thing to look at, did this uh, manager beat the market historically, um, tends to be a low information signal. So that's something that we cover in our persistence report, which is a separate um, a SPIVA report comes out similarly on a semi-annual schedule. And what we, we look at is, did the funds that used to beat the market or used to beat their peers continue to do so? Uh, and there you'll find actually there's a, there's a degree of reversion to the mean. And it's really interesting to think about the mechanics as to what happens to successful managers that means that you know they might be challenged in their future outperformance. What the data says is that you know, it is difficult to identify a fund that will win based on those that have outperformed in well, the past. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents. People who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Morningstar has this great report uh, like yours, but they put fee buckets into it. And what they find is there's a high correlation between the ones that do outperform um, and the and the ones that are cheapest. So the lowest quartile fee has a much better outperformance rate than the highest quartile fee, which is almost like they all underperform. Is that kind of a common thread with the, let's look at the 10-year, the 10% or 9% that outperformed. Is low fee a common thread or is there something else they have in, in common? So we, um, uh, I've seen the Morningstar report, and I, I like it. And it, it probably is now I should emphasize what we do with Spiva is to compare actively managed funds' net of fees to benchmarks, which by convention do not include any trading costs, right? So we're giving them a hard benchmark to beat. Um, over the years, we, we've heard this, you know, is, is it all about fees and so on? And so we started producing a different report, which was published exactly a week ago, um, which looks at gross of fee performance, and also looks at the performance of institutional accounts. It's called Spiva Institutional. And what that does is, is answers, first of all, the question of how much difference do fees make? Um, and what difference would it make if I had institutional resources devoted to uh, selecting an outperforming active manager? And 
to take a, just a broad look at the results, what you see is, first of all, fees do matter. Second of all, actually, the performance of those uh, institutionally managed accounts uh, is slightly better than the performance of, of mutual funds. However, most active funds underperform the benchmark. So it doesn't even change gross. The, even gross of fees. You know why, you know, uh, I, again, my study of Bogle and this book, I, he would describe the active managers as sitting in a circle and they're all trading with each other like at a poker table. And I think sometimes people think of the stock market as something else, but it's really just a bunch of people trading with each other. And for, for me to win, Joel has to lose. And then I have to basically find losers like four or five times in a row to be that, that person who outperforms. And that, the odds are tough. It's just very difficult to sort of gamble your way into having more money than everybody else. I guess a couple do it, but largely the, the, everybody's sort of netting out zero Plus, you add in the fees, and then it's an overall well, it's people quite, losing. It's not quite a zero-sum game. I think it, it's... it's um, so here's, here's the thing. Uh, we could all invest in the equity markets, and we could all make money. It, it's not zero-sum. What really is zero-sum is, is outperformance, is being smarter uh, than, than, than everyone else or, or than the Well, majority. exactly. The capital markets will build money, right? If you just put your money in there, it will grow. It's more of the outperformance is zero-sum, the trading. But, I mean, here's one question I have. In the in this equity, and we'll go to some other categories. I mean, all the numbers are pretty bad here, but you know, it seems to me that some of these funds were like built in the '70s, '80s, and '90s, and they have to be real, real close to the S and P. And it's tough to beat the S and P when you're close to it. Whereas some funds now, like an Arc, they go way out there, and they're either going to like crush it or get crushed. And it seems to be investors sort of prefer that because in the core, they're moving to passive. Before you answer that, though, I think it's important that we talk about this universe of funds in general, right? Because this is everything. It's ETFs, mutual funds, everything grouped up yep. and evaluated as one. Yes. So ETFs are included in our report, but it's it's basically... And did you break them out at all, or is it all... We didn't, although that, that is something I've been thinking about doing. It is also something... Um, I mean, I don't think we'll ever do a daily <laughs> spiva, but you could uh, with ETFs. You could say, you know, how many, how many beat the market today? Anyway, uh, to the question... Yes. So there are different categories. We've been talking a lot about the, the large cap category. The growth category is actually quite interesting. So growth was one of those areas where the record of active managers had been going pretty strong. Uh, if we were here one year ago, you'd been asking me, why is it that I think it was uh, 30% of growth managers were outperforming over three years? Um, that record has strongly reverted to the mean with the downturn in growth. Um, there's uh, you mentioned Kathy Wood's ARC uh, fund, which which came in for a lot of, of perhaps unfair criticism. She was not alone. Um, if you look over the the three year period now at uh, large cap growth, it's it's come back completely other the other way. It's ninety three percent underperforming. And what you see is 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 that yes, there is this aspect to which investors more generally, I think, have come to their active managers and and demanded. They say, look, I I can get very low cost access to my benchmark. What I need you to do is to focus on your best ideas and to, to concentrate on your highest conviction picks. And I think many, many managers have done that. It does make it then the end result a little more, uh, more of a broad distribution, right? They're either going to win big or they're going to lose big. Um, and it does, uh, in, in some categories like, like growth, mean that you can get quite strong extremes. I think there's evidence in, in, in our data suggests that the growth segment uh, was kind of more growthy than, than our growth index, in, particularly uh, in the downturn in growth relatively that started back in September. 
Yeah, I think the th- the thing I'm getting at here is if you were running a fund in the 80s and 90s before indexing was big, you were using the core, so you were benchmark hugging largely because you couldn't get too crazy. You, can go, you couldn't go full Kathy Wood because you're sort of delivering core exposure. And I think that locks them in because a lot of their existing clients are those people who bought them for that. So I find that they're kind of in this sort of unfortunate like conundrum about still serving core exposure so they can't go really active, but people want really active now because they use indexing for their core. Yeah, I think I think you might be right. I, I would say, and I'm not an expert in 1980s fund history, but there were concentrated technology funds at the time. There were, you know, top 20 funds, just 20 great idea funds uh, at the time. Um, I, I think you're right that the, more broadly, it used to be the case that um, uh, managers could could essentially sell beta as alpha. That that, that might be a bit a bit unfair, um, but I, I I think that's a lot harder to do nowadays. I still think there's um, look there's there's still massive need for active managers in our markets, and they do provide a, a valuable service in terms of um, you know um, price efficiency and allocation of capital. Uh, the challenge, I think, is is you know, how much do you need, and how much do you, as an as an individual investor, uh, need to to allocate to an, to an active manager, uh, when actually a lot of what's driving your performance will be your asset allocation. So walk us through some other headlines here. We we hit on equities there, um, fixed income. Yeah, so um, so I'll pick two two highlights from from other categories. The first is um, so international. Uh, managers had a, a slightly better uh, record in, in the latest Speed edition, and although again, it's it's um, we're still not seeing categories generally where you get a high proportion of active managers beating the index over the long term. Uh, one area that we have uh, commented upon frequently as one where the active record is much better: international small caps. So compared to an international small cap benchmarks, managers picking small international stocks have actually had a pretty good record uh, over the long term. Uh, fixed income, well, fixed income has been, was, was a bit more of a mix this year. One area where uh, active funds seem to be having a particularly tough time uh, was in the um, intermediate US, US government. Uh, and I guess that's it's just a downturn in U.S. government and also one of the typical strategies that managers use uh, in fixed income going longer duration uh, was a painful one this year. Uh, one area where we saw um, managers do actually pretty well was just general investment grade funds, um, seeing a, a, an underperformance rate of 17 percent there. Um, so there does appear to be, at least uh, in the short term, a um, evidence for for strong performance from active managers in the fixed income space. So the fixed income has always been a little better than equity in these Beaver reports. And some say, well, look, if your benchmark is the ag, it doesn't hold high yield international. A lot of these managers will buy high yield international to jack up the credit risk. Um, do you account for that? Because in the equity world, if you do that, you sort of get put into a different bucket. That's called style drift. How do you account for that? Because I do think sometimes fixed income, the bond managers actually, I think I have it lucky. They've got this ag benchmark, which is weighted by uh, debt. It's whereas the S and P's got like momentum baked into it. It's a harder index to beat on the bond side. I just feel like maybe the index is easier to beat in general. Yeah, I mean, my my team uh, took over the the production of these reports quite recently, and I, I did a deep uh, dive into the fixed income segment. And let let me tell you something: fixed income benchmarking is hard. It's really hard. Um, telling how a, uh, a a fund in particular is generating its returns. Um, is difficult because 
In tech and equity fund, I could tell you, you've shown me its performance, I could tell you whether it's investing in emerging markets or not, simply by you know, how it's doing and how emerging markets are doing. Whereas in fixed income, if you're taking a little bit of extra credit risk, if you're taking on a little bit more duration, uh, if you're using tips, what you'll see is in the short term, your returns will be really, really correlated to your benchmark. Over the long term, there'll be a drift. And this makes benchmarking really, really difficult. I think there is uh, a good point to be made there in, in terms of uh, aggregate bond indices not representing uh, what is the the typical active manager activity. Um, I, I do think there's an open question there. And um, I would certainly uh, say that it's, it's, it's still a challenge. However, I still think the way we do Spiva is the right way to do it in the sense that we should be comparing what an active manager can do versus what is the simple choice in terms of gaining broad market exposure. Yeah, there's an index called the uh, Bloomberg Universal Index, which is like the ag, but it has a little high-yield international. When we put that against intermediate total return managers, the beat rate gets cut in half. It, it be, they, they become more like active uh, stock pickers. Um, but that is that ticker for that universal is actually an ETF growing pretty quickly. So some of these... What's the ticker? It's IUSB. It's one of the fastest growing... I, and I, I can see why. It's the ag with a little extra something. And it's sort of, in my opinion, probably the best replacement for a bond manager ver- versus, say, the ag uh, or B, you know, AGG or BND. Um, well, one question I have is, sometimes when the SPIVA reports come out, someone will be like, especially on Twitter, hey, this is an index company. You know, of course, they're going to want to promote this. And, you know, what would you say to somebody say, this is actually in your vested interest to have all this, these numbers be so bad? I, I get it. It's true. But do you ever get people saying that? Or do you get maybe active manager hate mail? Um, so well, let, me, let me say, first of all, if you are an outperforming active manager, um, if you're one of the 50% in the short term or one of the 10% in the long term in, in U.S. equities, you should love the SPIVA report because what it shows is how special you are. So I don't get hate mail from, from good active managers. <laughs> Secondly, um, what we committed to do was to report this number on a regular frequency i.e. every six months. We'll report it when the number's in our favor. We'll report it when the number isn't in our favor. And we'll try and give people perspectives uh, and insights into what's driving those numbers. Now, you're right. The long-term data does carry an implication that perhaps an an index-based approach could be suitable. um, But the important point is that we commit to reporting those numbers, whatever they are, and then let the data speak for itself. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents. People who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. 
There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I noticed you guys asset weight a section of the report and then you equal weight it. Were there differences in the outperformance when you do those two different methods? Yes, uh, there are. So uh, the reason we do both, so so SPIVA is not a kind of weighted number. You know, it's, it's how many funds were there in the universe, how many beat the market. Um, and obviously, uh, well, not, maybe not obviously, but, but, but in practice what, you, what happens is that doesn't represent the invested assets. So there's a lot more money in some big funds than there are in many small funds. Um, so in the report, we do report the equal weighted average return from each category and the asset weighted return from each category. And if the big funds are doing better, then the asset weighted uh, performance should be better than the equal weighted performance. Generally speaking, just sort of summarizing you know, lots and lots of data points and lots of years of reports, asset-weighted performance is better, generally speaking. Is that because money flow helps because you're buying the stocks that the flows are coming in and therefore the stocks go up when you buy them, which is sort of like a nice upward spiral? No, I don't. Or is it more just the big managers are able to get like better execution costs? They can actually move the market in their favor? I think, I think that's part of it. I think also there are the generally uh, economies of scale or... Um, low, when we talked about fees, generally low, fees do matter. Uh, lower fee uh, funds do tend to attract more assets. And I think also bear in mind, we're, we're talking about the whole universe. So the, 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 there's quite a long tail here of potentially quite small funds with potentially quite high fees. Tim, what was the single most surprising thing that jumped out at you when you got your hands on this data and report? Uh, so I think the, 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 the one that I was most interested by was, was the reversion to the meaning in growth managers. And the reason it was surprising is more often what you see is, is the best thing for, say, the small cap uh, U.S. equity category is for large caps to do really well. Because your small cap funds might have a few large caps and that sort of – so compared to their benchmark, which is only small caps, if you see what I mean, the same happens for growth and value. So what happened this year is that growth did really badly. And my expectation was, was that that would be good for growth managers because they, they can have a, a, little, a, you know, a little bit of value as well if they want to. Um, and so generally, you know, growth doing really badly made me think that growth managers would do relatively well. That did not happen. Uh, and as, as we said earlier, it's suggestive of the fact that growth managers actually were really doubling down on, on the growthiest parts of the markets. As Eric was suggesting, you know, maybe concentrating big bets. Uh, and so that, that is something that seems to be corroborated by this data, which I found really interesting and surprising. We talk growth. Value finally had its day, right? This is one of the big stories of the last year. How did value managers do versus their benchmark? Value managers, um, it was not quite a coin flip, but pretty close. 56% of uh, value managers outperformed the S&P 500 value. Feels like they've been waiting for this moment. Just like... I know. They f- it's fine. I know. It's, it's like the moment came and it's like, oh. <laughs> oh. Well, I will say value ETFs have taken in a ton of money. Like there's a real... You can tell people are like ready for a regime change. And uh, I'm guessing their numbers were pr- better than growth because they probably were diligently buying actual low value stocks that were below value. Whereas growth might have been, you know, sort of like leaning into more growthy stocks and got caught on the wrong side for the half the year. Maybe they'll flip back, but 
I, I, that makes sense to me in a way. Okay, Tim, question that we ask everyone at the end of Trillions. Favorite ETF ticker, what's yours? Uh, well, as a representative of an index company, I will have to <laughs> kindly uh, decline to I had, I had a hunch question. that you might do that. I'll answer that. You, if you work at S&P, it has to be SPY. Uh, I, mean, well, I mean, it would be weird if it wasn't. He can have no comment, but okay. that's <laughs> We'll just say pretty it's strong spy. contender. Yeah, okay. we'll say it's SPY. Tim Edwards, thanks for joining us on Trillions. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you'd like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weppershow. He's at Eric Baltunas. This episode of Trillions was produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Bye. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com.